Hey, I'm Dr. Michael Hunter, forensic pathologist from Autopsy, Reels Channel's medical mystery series on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to download the Podcast One app and subscribe. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, to find more programs like this one on Reels Channel. The gangster rap world has been shaken again, this time by the violent death of the performer known as Notorious B.I.G. The rapper was rushed to Cedar sinai Medical Center. He was pronounced dead a short time later. The Notorious B.I.G. rapped about girls, guns, and money. His rhyming skills and flow and innovative production propelled him to worldwide fame. Three, two, one. Yeah. Check it out. Check it out. Snowtoys B.I.G. A larger-than-life figure from Brooklyn, New York, his raw talent lifted him from the streets. Either you were stealing, or you was hustling. One of the two, or you was a nobody. Then I was a hustler, and then boom, I was a rapper. His lyrics had an honesty born of harsh experience that fans found compelling. You will eventually die or go to jail. That's a fact. But in the early hours of March 9, 1997, the notorious B.I.G. was gunned down in a drive-by shooting in downtown Los Angeles. For decades, police have hunted for his killer, but still no one has been brought to trial. With access to Biggie's autopsy report and his police file, I'm going to investigate what was happening in his life in the weeks, days, and hours leading up to his death and see whether this sheds new light on how and why he was killed. And I'll use this evidence to look for a motive for his murder and help identify his killer. Dr. Michael Hunter is a world-renowned forensic pathologist. He's performed over 4,000 autopsies to investigate and reveal the cause of death. Today, he's the chief medical examiner in one of America's largest cities. He's now investigating the death of rapper The Notorious B.I.G. Real name, Christopher Wallace, affectionately known as Biggie Smalls. With access to privileged police information and Biggie's recently released autopsy report, he's hoping to shed new light on this still unsolved cold case. Looking at the autopsy report, the first thing I notice is that Biggie was shot four times. There is no burning or soot deposit around any of these perforations. These were not gunshot wounds from a point-blank range. But the gunshot wounds are the cause of death, and they can give us vital clues as to who killed him and why. March 2nd, 1997. Los Angeles. One week before Biggie's death. He spent the last month in California, away from his hometown, New York, with his good friend rapper, Lil Cease. Lil Cease, rapper and close friend. Personality-wise, he was like one of the best people to be around. Definitely, definitely one of my best friends. Born in 1972, Biggie's left behind a life of hustling on the street to concentrate on a career in music. Holly Lang, author, The Notorious B.I.G., a biography. He was a poet of the streets. He resonated with all kinds of different people. Up and down the East Coast, he just had a voice that people heard. 
His first album, Ready to Die, went gold and then platinum. It established him as a leading player on the rap scene. At the age of 24, Biggie's about to release his second album. He hopes it will cement his place as one of the greats of hip-hop. He's the most influential rapper here. You know, Big is the king of New York. That's how we look at Big. He's recognized the king of New York. <laughs> Looking at the autopsy report, the next thing that stands out is his size. He was six foot two inches tall, weighed 395 pounds. He was morbidly obese. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Biggie was nicknamed Big even as a young child. He went to a strict Catholic elementary school and was always top of the class. His mother, Voletta, was from Jamaica, but settled in New York and brought him up as a single mom. Dennis Mathis, childhood friend. She was a school teacher. She was a very hardworking mother. She did like any other single mother. She worked hard to make sure that a child could have whatever he want and to try to keep them out of the streets. But she could do nothing to prevent her son being drawn to a life of crime. He grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood and he would see the kids on the corner skipping school, having fun, selling drugs, hanging out. And so eventually he stopped going to school on a regular basis and started hanging out on the corner. By age 15, Biggie was dealing hard drugs on the street. He now weighed more than 200 pounds and was over six feet tall. His size brought him respect, but could also put his health in jeopardy. One of the things that stands out to me is that Biggie has an enlarged heart, and this is oftentimes due to chronic high blood pressure. The heart has to work harder in order to force blood throughout his body. Both an enlarged heart and high blood pressure could be complications of his morbid obesity. In 1990, at the age of 17, Biggie was making $15,000 a week selling crack cocaine. An established dealer running his own network, in the gangster world, he was on the rise. He figured drugs was the way out. That was the ticket. Become a big drug dealer, make money, make a better life for yourself. Then things began to fall apart. Biggie was arrested in Brooklyn for illegal possession of a weapon and got five years probation. But he kept on selling drugs and was arrested again in 1990 and 91. Looking at the autopsy report, I can see that he has multiple old scars on his ankles. There's no indication here of what that's from, but it suggests to me that he's been in a lot of scrapes in his life. A drug dealer, a hustler. But Biggie was blessed with an extraordinary talent. As a teenager, he had the street hopping with his rap skills. He used to battle with some of the uh, parties, local parties we did in the neighborhoods. He'd go grab the mic and do rhymes and freestyle, and people would go crazy. was still dealing drugs with a constant fear of prison or death when his demo tape found its way to a New York record producer, Sean Puffy Combs. Puff was the first one to kind of reach out. And once that tape landed in Puff's hand, he was like, I, I need to get this guy. <laughs> I want him now. 
Puffy Combs soon got Biggie a record deal. He had a gift. This was natural for him. A lot of it wasn't scripted. He was just going with what he felt and what he saw at the moment. And I think this is what Combs saw in him. In 1994, Biggie released his first album, which was a critical and commercial success. He was on his way to fame, but the road wasn't entirely smooth. The next thing that strikes me in the autopsy report is that there's a surgical pin in his left femur. This must have been from a severe break that had been fixed. This would have left him with a limp. The broken leg put Biggie in the hospital for several months and was the result of an auto accident with Lil Cease driving. We dropped off one of our cars to get fixed, and they gave us a loaner's car, and uh, we tried to turn on the exit, and car spread out of control. We ran into a rail, and uh, that's how he uh, injured his leg. Fracture of the femur is a serious break. It can take months to years to heal from this, especially if you're overweight. Biggie would have been in pain for a long time. March 4th, 1997, Los Angeles. Six months after his auto accident and five days before his death, Biggie still needs a cane to walk. He's due to make a presentation at the Soul Train Awards, but there's tension in the air. His record label, New York-based Bad Boy, is in a vicious feud with L.A. rivals Death Row, each accusing the other of violent attacks on their crews. There was this long history of conflict between Death Row Records and Bad Boy Records and their CEOs, Suge Knight and uh, Puffy Combs, and their artists, uh, Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur. Some thought Biggie was taking his life in his hands going to L.A., a lot of East Coast rappers thought it was crazy that he would go out there. He began receiving death threats almost immediately. We knew what we was involved in with all the East Coast and West stuff that was going on. We was all looking around like, and like, yo, dog, like, this is serious. He was out of his comfort zone. Biggie hadn't been in California in quite some time, and particularly after a lot of the East Coast, West Coast, you know, disputes had really risen to national prominence. With his growing musical success, Biggie hopes to leave the violent world of the street behind. But the danger follows him. And one thing that concerns his producer, Puffy Combs, is Biggie's history of drug dealing. Combs was outspoken in his dislike of Biggie's drug dealing. He felt that he had other talents and other things that he could be doing, not something that could eventually land him in jail or, even worse, have him killed. But did Biggie listen? Or was the drug world still a threat? After Biggie was shot, he was brought into the emergency room, and police found a very small amount of marijuana on him, less than a gram. In California today, this amount would be considered for personal use and would not warrant a criminal charge. The toxicology report shows that there's no marijuana or hard drugs in his system, so it's likely he wasn't dealing or taking drugs on the night of his death. But being involved with drugs wasn't his only vice. In 1994, just before the release of his first album, Biggie is at a photo shoot when he meets and falls for R&B singer Faith Evans. How you doing? They talked and kicked it for a little while then, and then three weeks later, they was, uh, they was tying the knot and got married. But the marriage quickly becomes rocky. It's clear Biggie is cheating on Faith with the rapper Lil' Kim. 
Biggie was famous for hooking up with other women. And Little Kim was a fixture in the Wallace household. Uh, she was reported to be Biggie's side piece and someone that he was involved with. One Christmas, Faith Evans found Lil' Kim in bed with Biggie. Yes? Hey, hey, yo, yo! Yo! Yo, yo, AC! AC! Hey, yo, hey, yo, yo, quick, wait! Listen, 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 yo, 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 calm down, listen, yo! Calm down! It was a pretty devastating blow. To find little Kim in the bed seemed, though, it was a, a particular slap in her face. And then at that point, they did separate. Yet Biggie's relationships remain volatile. Two weeks before his death, he's caught beating up his current girlfriend, Tiffany Lane. He's thrown out of his hotel by security. It's the latest violent incident in Biggie's short life. It's clear that this is a complex man with a chaotic lifestyle, and there are a number of people who might wish him harm. However, looking at the autopsy report, there's something else that intrigues me. A single tattoo is on his right arm, and it's a quote from Psalm 27. The Psalm would prove strangely prophetic. I can also see that this tattoo is fresh. It's as if he knew something terrible was about to happen. You will eventually die or go to jail. That's a fact. In the early hours of March 9th, 1997, rapper Biggie Smalls, real name Christopher Wallace, died at Cedar sinai Hospital, Los Angeles, killed in a drive-by shooting. <laughs> World-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is using the autopsy report and police records to look deep into Biggie's story. Looking at the autopsy, I can see that Biggie is a physical wreck. He did not care at all about his health. He was overweight, he probably had hypertension, and he has this past femur fracture. Now I need to continue my investigation into who killed him and why. March 7th, 1997. Los Angeles. The night before his death, Biggie is on stage presenting a Soul Train Award. Greg Kading, former detective, Los Angeles Police Department. He was booed. What's up, Cali? They began to shout West Side, and there was quite a bit of friction taking place. Carla Radford, Vibe Magazine. Many people are very upset that Biggie was in their hometown on their turf so soon after Tupac lost his life. Six months earlier, fellow rapper Tupac Shakur was gunned down in Las Vegas. Tupac Shakur's autopsy report is not publicly available, but according to police reports, he was shot five times while he was riding in a car. He spent the next six days in the hospital and eventually died from the trauma from those gunshot wounds. Like Biggie, Tupac was originally from the East Coast. According to friends, despite a rift, Biggie Smalls was saddened by the death of his fellow rapper. But it also made him question his own mortality. Looking at the only tattoo on Biggie's body, on his right forearm, is a quote from the Bible. I can also tell that it was recent, done just a few days before his death. 
The Bible verse he has tattooed is Psalm 27, starting, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The tattoos seem to symbolize some of the issues and some of the struggles that he was having in California, the unease that he was feeling on his own future. March 8th, Los Angeles. It's the morning after the award show, and Biggie is rattled by the hostile reception the night before. A party hosted by Vibe magazine is scheduled for that evening, but he's worried about all the threats. Then a call from his producer and mentor, Puffy Combs, persuades him to take the risk. Puffy wanted him to go out and start to become more interactive in the L.A. scene, get to be known more, you know, start rubbing elbows with all the right people and promoting himself. 10.15 p.m., the Peterson Automotive Museum, Los Angeles. Biggie's at the Vibe magazine party, three hours before his death. Dr. Linda Papadopoulos, psychologist. Biggie did have hesitations about going to the Vibe party even though he was not a man to back down from a threat. Was this about him being a risk taker? Was this about him being on a high that I feel invincible because I'm doing so well? Or was this him being a savvy businessman? You know, we make a thousand decisions every day of our lives and most of them don't lead to big life-changing moments. But every so often they do and, and everything changes. By midnight, the party is packed with hip-hop royalty. It's the hottest ticket in town. There was a massive crowd inside. People were still trying to get in when it was just packed like sardines. And so the fire marshal became very concerned about everybody's safety. So he determined that it was best to shut the party down. 12.15 a.m., one hour before Biggie's death, people are slowly leaving the museum building. It takes Biggie over 30 minutes to get out. There's an SUV waiting for him, Lil Cease, and the rest of his crew. Biggie's vehicle pulled out. It was being driven by one of the bodyguards, and as they pulled towards the light at the intersection, a vehicle pulled up alongside. We just seen Big leaped over the cars with his eyes wide open, just you know, just looking like like with a shock face, like in, like in shock. But I see a bunch of people get shot, and, you know, they live. You know, so that was the first thing in my mind. Oh, he going to be all right. Oh, he ain't get shot in his head. He ain't get shot in his chest. All right, Big, oh, Big going to be cool. He, he good. From the autopsy report, I can see that Biggie was shot four times. Two of these rounds passed through his body, and two lodged within him. We just drove to the nearest hospital we could find. Twelve fifty-five AM. Para
Paramedics rush Biggie into the ER. I didn't think he was going to lose his life that day at all. Just in my head, I was going, not big. He, he ain't dead. Inside the operating room, he is unconscious. His pulse has stopped. Surgeons are now battling to save his life. But after 20 minutes, it's clear Biggie is beyond help. At 1.15 a.m., he's declared dead. The gangster rap world has been shaken again, this time by the violent death of the performer known as Notorious B.I.G. Your best friend is dead. You know, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I just sat there and was just, you know, just in tears and just, you know, you, you just didn't believe it, you know. When I got the call that morning, I was like, I was numb. I said, no, that's, that's, that can't be true. I mean, why would they want to kill him? From the autopsy report, I can see that Biggie was shot by four medium caliber bullets, full metal jackets. This is significant because it can tell us something about the shooter. If you're like me right now, you're working from home and spending more time just inside, but there are still tons of ways that we can stay connected. Um, I do a lot of video chats for work and getting to see family on the weekends. And, you know, the thing with the video chats is you're able to see the video back of yourself. And I've noticed lately that I've got some some grays starting to come in. So I figured I needed to try a new at-home option for hair coloring. Um, so I, I was really excited to be able to try Madison and read. This is hair color that you can get online. You go to their website, you do sort of this quiz. It helps you find out what your sort of hair type is and match your color exactly, which is amazing because it really looks like you have spent a ton of money and time at a salon, but you were able to do it at home and they deliver the color to your door starting at only $22. So you don't have to deal with the grocery store box kits. This is a really amazing option if you're looking to get really gorgeous, and shiny and just multi-dimensional healthy looking hair that you have done right at home and what makes madison reed color really unique and why it's so great is that it's crafted by master colorists who blend all types of nuances of light and dark and warm and cool tones to create over 55 gorgeous multi-dimensional shades so you will definitely find a shade that works well with your hair color or if you want to change it up that's fun too um you could <laughs> try a whole different color why not? Now's the time to do it. Um, find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. And right now, autopsy listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code LASTHOURS. That's code LASTHOURS, L-A-S-T-H-O-U-R-S. World-renowned forensic pathologist, Dr. Michael Hunter, is investigating the shooting of the rapper Biggie Smalls, real name Christopher Wallace, who died at the age of just 24. He's examining the autopsy report and police records to unravel this complex cold case. 
With the evidence from these files, I'm building a picture of Biggie's final hours. He was shot multiple times and he was carried to the hospital by his friends in this bullet-riddled SUV. My next step is to precisely examine the circumstances around this shooting and determine what that might tell me about the identity of the killer. According to a police diagram, the crime scene looks like this. Biggie's SUV stopped at an intersection, his bodyguard's car behind. Then the shooter pulls up alongside. The attacker shot six rounds at Biggie's SUV, two of which struck the vehicle, one lodged in the door and one on the far side, whereas the other four struck Biggie. No one else was hit. He appears to be the specific target. The autopsy report shows one bullet entering in the elbow and traveling down to the wrist, a second perforating a thigh, a third entering into his right back and exiting out his left shoulder, and the fourth just above the right hip entering into the abdomen. Looking at the trajectory of the gunshot wound just above his right hip, it suggests that Biggie was in a defensive type posture, likely laying down. The projectile enters and travels lengthwise through the body. It's an unusual trajectory. My conclusion based on the trajectory is that these shots were not well aimed. They didn't strike vital areas such as the head or the chest and they were sprayed throughout the vehicle. To me, this looks like the work of an amateur but there's something else that needs investigating. The killing of Biggie is almost a carbon copy of the killing of Tupac Shakur. September 7th, 1996, Las Vegas. Six months before Biggie's death, his one-time friend, fellow gangster rapper Tupac Shakur, is cruising the city with his record boss, Suge Knight. They pull up in traffic. A car pulls up alongside. Tupac Shakur is hit five times, and Suge Knight is winged. Six days later, Shakur dies in the hospital. There are multiple conspiracy theories that surrounded the deaths of both Biggie and Tupac, and one of the ones that's continued to persist was that the FBI was involved. Biggie's lover, Lil' Kim, was convinced there's something to this theory, that the deaths of the two rappers were connected. I always felt like Biggie and Tupac death was bigger than how they tried to make it to be. She believed they were singled out for their growing influence. Them two were very powerful guys. They both could have ran for mayor just like Arnold Schwarzenegger and probably won. And, you know, I think, you know, the government is looking at it like we cannot have these two hood dudes with this much power running for mayor or something like that. Police reports state that Biggie was under surveillance while he was in L.A. in the lead-up to his death. But does the autopsy back this theory that Biggie and Tupac were killed by the government? From the autopsy report, I can see that Biggie was shot by four medium-caliber bullets, full metal jackets. This is significant because it can tell us something about the shooter. 
there are two main types of bullet in use, full metal jacket and hollow point. Hollow point bullets are more deadly than full metal jacket bullets in that when they strike a target, they open up and cause more severe injury. They're designed to kill. Because of their superior stopping power, government and law enforcement favor the use of hollow point bullets. I don't know what sort of ammunition was used to kill Tupac, but Biggie was shot with full metal jacketed rounds. Now, if this was a professional, I would have expected that he would have been shot with hollow point ammunition. Full metal jacketed rounds are cheaper practice rounds. So this really supports my previous belief that this was an amateur. And the bullets pulled from Biggie's body reveal yet another clue. They are handed to the police, together with shell casings found at the scene. From the police report, I can tell that the detectives were able to identify the projectile involved, a German brand called Geico. This is the same type of ammunition that's been associated with gang members throughout Los Angeles, involving both the Crips and the Bloods. The Crips and the Bloods are two L.A. gangs with a deadly rivalry and a close connection to the vicious feud between Biggie's label Bad Boy and their rival Death Row. Suge Knight, head of Death Row Records, often utilized blood as security. Combs, also with Bad Boy, used Crips as security. So you create this situation to where you have opposing gangs representing opposing rap scenes, and it created a whole lot of tension. March 8th, 1997. Peterson Automotive Museum, Los Angeles. The night of Biggie's death. At the Vibe magazine party, gang members from the Bloods and the Crips are mingling with hip-hop's brightest stars. I can see in eyewitness reports that Crip members were talking to both Puffy and Biggie at the Vibe party just hours before the shooting. Puffy had the gang members around because he was scared for his own life. So it was really Puffy's brought those people around. Any rapper that goes to L.A., you had to have protection because you had the Bloods and the Crips. So either one of them had to be your protection. The fact that Combs used Crips security detail was considered almost a direct slap to death row records. It was considered an affront and a challenge. But why should Biggie Smalls be singled out as a target in this gangland rivalry? It turns out he also had a personal beef with Death Row's biggest star, Tupac Shakur. November 30th, 1994, New York. A little over two years before his death, Biggie and his producer, Puffy Combs, are busy in a recording studio. Rapper Tupac Shakur is also in the building. Around midnight, he is shot and robbed of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry. Hey, man. Tupac thinks Biggie and Puffy are behind the attack, despite the fact that they're close friends. In the early days, big relationship with Tupac, they were friends. Tupac was giving Big some tips on the industry on how to do records and what to look out for. From the first day they met, they clicked. They was both Gemini's. 
But now, everything was different. Tupac Shakur felt like he had been betrayed, and that led to his perception that his close friends had set him up, and that's where his own personal rivalry began against those individuals. After the attack, Shakur, despite his East Coast roots, signed a record deal with Suge Knight and Death Row Records in Los Angeles. Tupac and Biggie then fanned the flames of rivalry with explosive new tracks. One of the more famous songs would be Who Shot Ya by Notorious B.I.G. that calls out the incidents that really changed their relationship. Uh, Tupac also had his own songs, and in one very famous one, he's claiming to have slept with Wallace's wife, Faith Evans. Soon that rap rivalry would turn violent, and then deadly. So when Tupac was murdered in Las Vegas, the finger of suspicion was pointed at Biggie and Puffy. There was a rumor that Biggie provided the gun that shot Tupac. In the early hours of March 9th, 1997, rapper Biggie Smalls dies at the Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles, killed in a drive-by shooting. Forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter has gained access to Biggie's autopsy, as well as police files, from a lengthy investigation into his death. With the evidence from the police and autopsy reports, I'm led to believe that Biggie's shooting was the work of an amateur. I also know he's caught up in the feud between the L.A. gangs, the Crips, and the Bloods. And that's because of the rivalry between his label, Bad Boy, and Death Row Records. Now I want to investigate in detail the possibility that the Bloods and Death Row Records had a direct connection to this murder. And the first lead is surprising. November 6th, 1997. Los Angeles. Eight months after Biggie's death. David Mack, an LAPD officer, is arrested for carrying out a bank heist. According to the police report, when the detectives searched Mack's residence, they found a cache of Geico-type bullets. These are not bullets that are used by the LAPD, but are the same type of bullet that was used in the shooting of Biggie. Now, Mack also drives a dark-colored Chevy Impala, very similar to the vehicle described during the shooting incident. The detectives find something else. Photographs of Mac wearing colors of the Bloods, the rival gang to the Crips. And informants claim that Mac was working off-duty for Tupac's label, Death Row. Word on the street was cops like Mac could make big money moonlighting as security in the music business. The allegations of the LAPD's involvement with Death Row Records ran deep. In fact, there were multiple pictures of police with Tupac or police with different rappers. There were unaccounted for you know, deposits and large advances into different checking accounts. Suspicions grew that some of these cops had gone rogue and were prepared to break the law for their music industry bosses. A theory began to develop that these police officers working off-duty for death row records may have had a hand in Christopher Wallace's killing. In 2002, Biggie's family agreed. They filed a wrongful death suit against the LAPD. It alleged that Los Angeles police officers had planned the killing of Biggie and then engineered a subsequent cover-up. 
In response, the LAPD renewed the investigation. Looking at the police reports from the reopened case, I can see that the LAPD discovered that some of its members did work for death row. But David Mack was not one of them. The car and the bullets were a coincidence. There ended up being no substantial evidence that Mack was involved in any way with Biggie's murder. Biggie's family eventually accepted these findings and dropped their suit against the Los Angeles police. But the LAPD continued to investigate both death row records and the bloods. And in their files, I see that they got a big break in 2009. This is a statement from a woman whose name was redacted for her own protection. And in it, she describes how she helped coordinate the murder of Biggie. And she goes on to name a member of the Bloods as the killer. We were able to identify the shooter, a guy named uh, Wardell Faust. They called him Poochie. The woman's statement also suggests who paid Faust for the hit. She told police it was Suge Knight, boss of Death Row Records. Now, he was in prison at the time, but according to her statement, he arranged her to visit him there. And the woman states that she was told to contact Faust and advise him that Suge wanted Biggie killed for an undisclosed amount of money. But if Suge Knight did pay to have Biggie killed, the question I have is why? I still need to find a motive, and rap rivalry does not seem to be enough. But an earlier incident on the night of Tupac's shooting might provide one. September 7th, 1996, Las Vegas. Six months before Biggie's death. His former friend and now rival Tupac Shakur attended a Mike Tyson fight at the MGM Grand. Here, the rivalry between the record labels and gangs erupts in a brutal attack caught on hotel CCTV. Tupac Shakur encountered a Southside Crip gang member, a guy named Orlando Anderson, and started a fist fight with him. Tupac is hanging with members of the Bloods. They savagely beat Crip's hard man, Anderson. In a statement to police, a gang member alleged that shortly after the fight, Anderson wanted revenge. He hunted down Suge Knight and Tupac, found him in traffic at a street corner, and opened fire. Biggie was Tupac's biggest rival. Because his label Bad Boy was associated with the Crips, a rumor spread that Biggie had helped the gang that night and provided the gun used in Tupac's murder. There were many speculations and thoughts that Biggie wanted Tupac gone. And especially at the time that Tupac was killed was the height of his career. So for many, they thought Biggie was jealous and that he had Tupac taken out. Sitting next to Tupac when he was shot was Suge Knight, his close friend and manager at Death Row Records. Suge Knight had believed the rumors that Biggie Small had been in Las Vegas and that he had provided the gun to shoot Tupac Shakur. Convinced of Biggie's guilt, it makes sense Knight would want payback. Suge Knight and Biggie and Tupac all came from a gang culture where trust in the police to help you out with your problems certainly isn't there. So if you have a problem, that's something that you, you sort out yourself. And sometimes getting justice means getting revenge. 
The evidence I've discovered suggests Biggie took a big risk going to California so soon after Tupac was shot, and that he was murdered in revenge for the death of a fellow rapper. With the apparent identity of his killer known, I need to understand why no one's in prison for such a high-profile crime. Wardell Faust was killed in a gang shooting in 2003, six years before he was named as the killer. No one else has backed up the testimony of the 2009 witness, and her single confession is not enough to mount a case. So much time has passed that other witnesses are either dead or now uncooperative, and it ultimately results in a situation where the crimes are unprosecutable. Suge Knight went to jail in 2015, charged with an unrelated murder. He's always denied any involvement in Biggie's killing and has never been charged in connection with the case. In the killing of Tupac, investigators have never found a link between Biggie and events in Vegas. We don't have any evidence whatsoever to support the idea that Christopher Wallace was involved or even knew about Tupac Shakur's murder in Las Vegas. The rumor that Biggie provided the gun to shoot Tupac was just that, a rumor. But there's still one mystery in this case. Biggie wasn't shot in the chest, he wasn't shot in the head. So why is it that the emergency room doctors couldn't save him? Rap star Biggie Smalls, real name Christopher Wallace, was killed in a drive-by shooting in an L.A. street. One of the world's leading pathologists, Dr. Michael Hunter, is using Biggie's autopsy report and the latest police files to examine the case in a fresh light. I've discovered that Biggie was most likely killed by a gangster, Wardell Faust, in misplaced revenge for the murder of Tupac Shakur. But there's still another mystery that I need to solve. Full metal jacket rounds typically don't cause massive internal injuries, and Biggie was shot in a kind of random way. He wasn't shot in the chest, he wasn't shot in the head, and we're not seeing a whole lot of external bleeding. Little Cease, who had seen people shot before, was convinced that he would survive. So why is it that the ER docs couldn't save him? The autopsy report shows that there is one bullet that struck his elbow and traveled down his wrist without causing any serious injury. The second bullet struck the thigh, piercing it, but likewise not causing any major problems. The third bullet strikes his back and travels across the body and exits the left shoulder, just a flesh wound. But the fourth bullet is a different story. It strikes just above the right hip and travels at high velocity through the lower abdomen. The bullet perforates Biggie's colon and strikes his liver, entering at the bottom and exiting at the top. The bullet continues through his diaphragm. Then the bullet strikes his heart. It tears a hole in the right atrium and exits through the left ventricle. This is a devastating injury to the heart. There's gonna be massive blood loss into the chest cavity. In the emergency room, there's little evidence of bleeding, 
Biggie's fat has closed around the bullet entry wounds. All the blood loss is happening internally. Surgeons have no idea of the damage to Biggie's heart. They quickly perform a drastic procedure that can save the life of someone in cardiac arrest. They crack open Biggie's chest and carry out internal defibrillation to shock his heart back to life. But it doesn't work. With this devastating injury, there is no way that you're going to repair this heart and have it function. The heart can't pump blood to the brain, the brain doesn't receive oxygen, and ultimately he dies. The real tragedy here is that this was a freak shot. The bullet entered the body at an unusual angle. If it had been one inch to the right or one inch to the left, it would have missed his heart and Biggie would have survived. Nine days after his death, Biggie's funeral was held in his beloved Brooklyn. Me knowing him as a kid that escaped the streets and then to become this big superstar rapper, it's like what was from the streets followed you and took your life. That didn't quite make sense to me. And I was like, what was the whole point? Biggie was just 24 when he died. His second album, Life After Death, was released two weeks after his murder and became one of the best-selling hip-hop records of all time. Its success confirmed Biggie's reputation as one of the rap world's brightest stars. The world lost a voice, a very important voice, one that spoke for those who often don't get spoken for, you know, with a little bit of charm, but also a little bit of grit, too, and looking at the struggles that folks have to feed their kids, to keep the bills on, and to hustle drugs simply because you have no other choice. There was no one that could touch more on the mic. There was no one that was a better storyteller, better writer. Nobody. He was the man. He was the life. He was the gift. He was Brooklyn. Coolest person on earth. I lost a best friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autopsy. Don't forget to subscribe at podcastone.com with the Podcast One app or at Apple Podcasts. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, for clips, extras, and more from the TV version of the series, including reenactments and autopsy photos you'll only see on Reels' channel. Find Reels on your TV at reels.com. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. 